Welcome to Profiles in Business. My name is Kyle Marshall. Brad Patnode went from serving wine to making wine and now even teaches wine. How did I make it, that is? But it wasn't necessarily a direct link on how he got there. He's now the owner of Wine Kits Varsity here in Calgary. I recently caught up with him on Zoom and first asked him what his business even is. So Wine Kits is a retail store that sells beer and wine kits to consumers so that they can make their own beer or wine at home. So the majority of what we sell is already in the kit form. But we do have a few folks that come through that make it uh, from scratch, from grapes for the wine or an all-grain brewer for beer. And we sell a few items for those folks, uh, but primarily what we sell is already in a kit. So this is maybe just like a really stupid question, but like I understand the concept of like making my own beer, making my own wine, using the kit and, and adding the water and letting it ferment, that sort of thing. What is the difference, say, the end product that I'm drinking? How is that fundamentally different than me and just going and buying a can of like Budweiser? So a couple of big differences. One is what we sell at the shop is actually considered a food product. It's grape juice. So A, there's no tax, which makes it tremendously less expensive. Uh, and to all those people that think that they are already paying too much tax, they can make their own and save themselves a bunch of money. Uh, right. The other big difference is that what you buy in a store shelf is a shelf-stable product. So it's going to taste the same day one versus day 101. What we sell in the shop is a live product. So when it ages in the bottle, the flavors will age and get better and improve over time. So it's okay on day one, but it's much better on day 91. Now that you've been doing this for a while, yeah. what are the differences in brewing beer versus wine? Or, or, or is there like a fundamental difference? There's a few minor differences. There's a couple of extra things that we put into a wine kit that we don't put into beer. So in wine, there's a lot more suspended sediment. And so we add some items to kill the yeast, to make the yeast uh, drop a sediment so that we can clear the wine and make it uh, more of a commercial grade product. Um, I want to ask some more questions about that. But before we do, let's go back in time a bit. Uh, where were you born? So I was born originally in Cornwall, Ontario. And at a fairly early age, I ended up working in a pub. Well, oh. well before I was of age to serve beer. <laughs> okay, okay. So I think, I think part of it was I had a, an older brother that was five years older. So you end up with a, a maturity that's beyond your age. And then when they hired me, I knew a bunch of people in the pub because I knew all my brother, my brother and all his friends. And so I think they just automatically made the assumption that he's of age. Right? <laughs> I, gotcha. They hired me in the kitchen and I kind of floated around, did a bunch of different things and landed in the pub and worked in there for a while and knew a bunch of people and nobody asked any questions. You know, uh, I, I've had this conversation before, and my own little pet theory is I think everyone should have to work retail or in the food <laughs> industry at least once, <laughs> uh, just so you understand what it's like. But uh, yeah, I, I guess my question really is, what did that teach you working in a pub? 
we could go on for hours. Right, sure. <laughs> so, so one of the big things I learned early on as a as a young man is that what comes around goes around, and it happens a lot faster in a pub or a restaurant, right? Because things just move quicker. Uh, but it taught me to read people a little bit better, right? To be aware of the room and the energy and what's going on. It also, I mean, I was underage, so it's fairly easy for me to pick out people who are underage. But even mm. now, as an older guy, I can fairly easily look around the room and see who looks uncomfortable. Because if you look yeah, uncomfortable, okay. you're probably underage. The, the, the trick is to always look uncomfortable. That's what my, my MO is. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I, like, I mean, of course, you're working there in the pub. But like, what other jobs have you had? Uh, that's another big one. So uh, I've, uh, I've been a real estate investor for about a decade. Uh, I was a bartender. So through all that, I was a bartender for about 15 years. I've worked in corporate marketing for about 10 years. I went to school, got educated. Uh, I was a stagehand for 20 years. So sound, lighting, video, mm -hmm. all that different things. Uh, so that was really interesting. Very physical labor. And it, it was funny because I did it volunteer-wise in high school and was the guy. So if you want sound or lights, get Rob down here. He'll set it up. And I will, I'll get down there and I'll set it up. And then as a man working as a union member for stage, it was really, you know, you got paid really well. But you had no control. Move this box, run this cable, do this thing. So I had no control. I was making good money. Whereas at school, <laughs> I had all the control. I wasn't making any money. So was, I think it's right. kind of ironic how that shifted. But in the pub I worked in had a lot of live music. And so you just get that exposure and then music becomes a part of your life. Is that kind of what brought you to Calgary then in the first place? So really work is what brought me to Calgary. Sorry, I graduated college, moved to Victoria, BC, lived there for a couple of years. Beautiful, pristine, mm -hmm. clean, and very tourist oriented. So spring, summer, fall, economy is great. And then winter time, there is nothing. You can go bowling down Center Street and nothing <laughs> is going on. Yeah. So I came to Calgary to visit about 20 years ago, came for a week, and I've been here for 20 years. It's been a long weekend is what you're trying <laughs> yes, to say. Yeah. the longest week ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're, it seems like you were having these um, different careers in a bunch of different industries. So why strike out and own your own business in the first place? So let's see. Uh, I think it started originally, like my, as, as a kid growing up, my parents rented the basement. Uh, and before I was born, they had different houses as well. So they were landlords. And then it was just in the house. So they were landlords. And so growing up, you get that exposure, exposure to tenants and leases and, and policies and receipts and the income it can generate and all those things. So I kind of started in real estate as an investor, got myself educated in all of that, not just from the experience of living with my parents and, and all of that, but studied and read books and attended seminars and joined groups and, you know, hang out with friends who are also real estate investors. So you learn through experience and from your own experience, how to do that well. So you start doing that. And then what I find is once you get started in any business, other business ideas or opportunities come to you. 
because you're mm-hmm. in that circle, you're networking with these people, your mindset changes. So now you're thinking as a business owner, not an employee, right? And so you look at things from a different perspective. So then I started a couple of businesses. One landed to me on the Dragon's Den, which was pretty cool. So pitched my idea to the to the Dragons and they didn't invest. What was but, that idea? Uh, so that idea was a Costco delivery service. Oh. Maybe ahead of its time because now with COVID, it's like delivery is the thing. <laughs> it's the thing, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that was pretty cool. And then uh, had a retail business and sold that and then started uh, a real estate. So it was a foreclosure busters business that I started. So helping people in financial distress. So that was pretty cool. Still active in that. And then bought the Metropolitan School of Bartending, mm. so where we teach people how to become bartenders, which was absolutely in my, my wheelhouse of expertise. And so as an owner of the school, I thought, you know what? We should have hops and grains and things like that on hand so the students can smell them, taste them, and know what hops is, what it looks like, what it smells like. Uh, during that time, I was also a home beer brewer. So I went to my supplier and said, hey, I buy my beer here, and I'm wondering if you sell hops and, and grains and things like that. We had conversations, and I explained to him why. And he's like, oh, okay. So a couple of weeks later, I go pick up my, my order, and uh, he pulls me aside, and he says, hey, you're in the industry. Would you be interested in buying this wine kit shop? I was like, wow, that's interesting. Let me see some financials. Let me do some analysis and let me uh, do, do my due diligence and see if I am interested. So as I looked through the numbers, I saw that it all made sense. And uh, geographically, it made sense where I live and where the store is and, and the geographic mm-hmm. market that it, that it services. Uh, so we moved forward. I was able to secure financing. And we move forward with the sale. Uh, and here we are. Well, it does seem like kind of just a natural extension of the school even, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a feeling off of one another there. Absolutely. A little yeah. bit. And, and so when we looked, when I looked at wine kits, I discussed the purchase with my business partner with the school. And we agreed that there's a lot of kind of interplay that we can do there. So right now we don't offer a beer course. But now we can because I have wine kits. So we can make mm-hmm. the beer and go to the school. And now we can sample the beer with the students. We can teach them how to pour a draft. We can do a wine tasting night with wine that we make at the at wine kits. Uh, so there really is a lot of a lot of coordination that we can that we see in the future. You know, if someone's listening here and is curious about making their own beer or wine but it's like i don't know like it seems like there's a lot of work involved or <laughs> i might not have the space available like yeah. what advice would you give to those people so uh two different pieces of advice one is uh we can make the wine on site for you so you just come in you pick your wine you pay the service fee and we do all the work and you know you don't have to worry about the smell the tools are you doing it right the space all of those things spills or anything like that we take care of all the work and then, so all the client needs to do is sprinkle the yeast at the beginning, excuse me, and then come back at the end to bottle their wine. So, so that's real easy. For the beer maker, the, I mean, certainly they can hit our website, winekitswithazcalgary.com. 
K-I-T-Z, Calgary. And there's information there, uh, but making your own, at this time, we don't make beer at the shop. I would like to change that in time, but we have to make, uh, the, the goal is to build a separate room so that mm-hmm. the beer is separate from the wine and there's no cross-contamination. But making beer is fairly easy. And the nice thing about the kits that we sell is they're very forgiving. So if you, you run it too long or you're, you finish too early or you put in too much sugar or not enough sugar or you let it sit too long or not long enough, you'll still get a drinkable product. It's the mm-hmm. really, really forgiving. I guess, like, you know, running a couple of businesses here now, what motivates you? How do you keep yourself motivated? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I love to see the businesses grow and evolve and put my personal stamp on it, right? I had a beer tasting program and watching that develop and grow and become very popular. Running our mixology tasting program and watching that grow and evolve. And, uh, and myself and my partner, Kathy, we host the mixology nights at the school. Mm-hmm. And they're a ton of fun. We both love to entertain and be the hosts. So running those events, uh, I think, really turns each of us on in our own way because we're the center of attention. We're cracking jokes and having fun and, and doing all those things and, yeah, and, and having a few drinks and sharing laughs. And uh, those cool. are really a lot of fun. Well, how about if it's a, another entrepreneur out there who's thinking that they might want to get into um, their own thing, whatever it may be. They want to start their own business, but they're unsure of it. Like, What advice would you give to that person who's just starting out? So initial advice would be analyze the numbers and look at the geography of what you're buying. So do you have a captured market geograph- geographically, or are you battling with one of your competitors in that geographic area? And if, if the numbers don't make sense, find a different investment. Mm-hmm. Because bottom line, you don't want to continuously put money. You want to, you want to invest in something that's going to pay you back over time, right? right. Um, your first few years might be skinny because you're paying back the loans uh, to get that business. But long term, you, you need to be able to make a profit out of this thing. Uh, the other advice I often give is there's a number of ways to make profit. So one is obviously selling your goods or services. The other is cutting your costs. So when you sell a widget for a dollar and your profit is, you know, we'll say 50 cents. So that's your profit. Now you got to pay, you know, utilities and taxes and so on and so forth, staff and rent and all that stuff out of that, that profit that you've made. But if you shave dollars off of your expenses, that goes right directly to your pocket. That's not, oh, I saved a dollar, so 50 cents of that goes, no, no, that's that full dollar goes to your bottom line. So I always say it's a balance between making that profit and selling your goods or services and keeping your costs low. Uh, before we sign off here, what is your uh, go-to drink of choice then? If you're, you're brewing your own stuff, you own the school, like what is your, your go-to drink? Uh, it, and for a very long time, it was dark ale. I'd go, uh-huh. I'd buy dark ale, I'd make dark ale, and that's what I drank, and that's what I made, and it was easy. I had the system, and that's what I did. <laughs> now that I run wine kits, it's like, oh, my God, I have so many different drinks to try. So <laughs> I, made, I made a dark ale with Tennessee bourbon oak in it. Whoa, so okay. I'm to try that. I just made also a dark ale, and I used 
a raspberry wine as some of the liquid. Instead of using 18 liters of water, I used 12 liters of water and six liters of red wine base or raspberry wine base. Mm -hmm. So effectively made a raspberry ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of blonde ales that I'd like to try in the shop, and I could put like a strawberry puree in there, make a strawberry blonde. I mean, really, the doors are wide open. There's so many options. Well, if you need a taste tester, you know where to find me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I, I will say this, like I am a huge fan of um, raspberry ales oh, uh, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Like it's my favorite thing to do in the summertime. Kind of missed it last summer with oh, like no yeah. patio and yeah. stuff like that. Like yeah. that was like my favorite thing to do. Um, you already mentioned it, but just in case, uh, if people wanted to find you online, how can they do so? So you can hit our website, winekitscalgary.com. Uh, I am on Facebook as well. You can look me up, Bartender Rob. That's probably the easy, the two easiest ways to find me. Great. Perfect. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, no problem. Hey, thanks, Cal. Thank you for listening. All the links to follow up with Rob are in the show notes. Until we speak again, have a great day. Uh-huh.